You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. We're here to call out religious BS, look for better ways forward, and help you to realize that you're not crazy. This religious stuff is completely nuts. And if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this, then welcome home. We're glad you're here. On today's show, we're going to be talking about learning from experience. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Amazon, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there, we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you want to interact more with the show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. Drop me a line at stuart at snarkyfaith.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T at snarkyfaith.com. And if you want to leave a message that just may end up on the air, you can record it on our website, snarkyfaith.com. So starting out the show today, I wanted to be able to tell you guys that even though I know our show had a little bit of hiatus and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about (laughs) that's gone on since I decided to take a short break on the air Oh, yes. Things like this? President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. Yeah, fuck that noise. I've got no, I've got no emotional brain space to even hop into Roe v. Wade this week. We'll get to it next week. We'll get to it next week. And also just telling you, too, what's happening in the next coming weeks on this show. We're going to be having a bunch of different different interviews with a bunch of different authors and speakers. So look forward to that. That's kind of our summer series where we're going to be going through lots of different voices that I'm going to be hosting here on the show in interview format. Now, I know that all everything on our minds right now seems to be revolving around the overturn of Roe v. Wade in America. And it is gut-wrenching and it is heartbreaking. And to be honest with you, I am going to need a little time to let that one percolate to be able to have a conversation about it. But the thing that I'd been let percolating in my system was something that I've just, I haven't wanted to talk about and I've kept putting it off and I haven't still wanted to talk about it, but centers around the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Now, it's easy because 
the news cycles have moved so far beyond that right now, it's easy for us to become desensitized and forget about the fact that we had a gunman go into a school and kill kids and teachers. And this is a problem that America continues to deny that we have an addiction to something. And yet we keep trying to do the exact same thing, expecting different answers, but getting the exact same results every time, every time. And again, every time the conservative Christian response is the same thing. Right? Right? Because it makes total sense that you have a group of folks that are what they would call pro-life, but they're also pro-gun. I don't know how those two fit together, and they don't. But the sad thing is, if you were to ask a lot of folks in that arena, they, their answer would probably come around to being something a little like, uh, Jesus! Uh-huh. Jesus. Jesus is pro-life, and Jesus is pro-guns. Because Jesus... And our answer continues to be collectively, Jesus. So, what better way for us to hop into talking about the news than this? So, let's hop into talking about gun violence and the Christian response in our section, In the News. In the News! So, here we are in America, the land... Of the free for some. For some. For some as we move forward. But, okay. So it seems that every time that we end up encountering some sort of a shooting, conservative evangelical Christianity gives us some sort of a beautiful answer to it. To like, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. God knows your pain. This whole thing is just because of, you know, sin. And, and we delve into this whole array of pageantry of excuses, but still don't want to talk about the core problem. Now, you may not believe me, and I'm hoping you don't, because we've got some, we've got some choice cuts of Christian nuts that we are blending already into the news this week. So let's go ahead and start off with televangelist and OG grifter, Kenneth Copeland. Now, let's try to figure this out. How's Ken going to take this? How's Ken, Ken going to re-look at this situation to give his congregation hope and tell them where God is in this time and, and kind of who to blame about all this. So, you know, what you got, Ken? What you got, Kenny boy? And just know he's got a beautiful turd of an answer that pastors have been polishing for centuries. Well, Brother Copeland, why do bad things happen to good people? Because a demon-possessed young man decided he just wanted to kill a bunch of people. Oh, so it's not an issue with gun rights or mental health or anything of that. It's just about demons. Got Find it. Find it somewhere. By faith, move over into that area where you begin to say, I'm, I'm not holding this against him. I'm holding this. I'm holding the devil. I'm holding the devil responsible for this. 
Well, I don't believe there is a devil. Well, if you don't believe it by now, I don't know what it'll take to convince you. Oh, yes. What's it going to convince you besides circular logic that just keeps you going around and around and around and then down the toilet? Because, yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to help things move forward. It's a demon. Don't worry about them guns. Don't worry about that boy. Just realize it's demons. It's demons. I mean, what is this? Like the 1500s? I mean, aside from Kenneth Copeland's personal jets, and I mean, if you really think about this, it probably checks out very well that this, this whole idea of, you know, something like accountability would not be a friend of Kenneth Copeland. Now, moving on, we have Ken Ham's take on this. Now, for those who don't know Ken Ham, pat yourself on the back. You have really lost no amount of space in your life ever thinking about Ken Ham. High five. Good job. Good on you. Yes. Ken Ham. Ken Ham. Staunch, staunch creationist. The dude behind the Ark experience in Kentucky. You know, the guy that made all huge Ark. And it has dinosaurs inside because he believes in creationism, like from the very beginning and sees Genesis 1 and 2 as being absolutely literal, that Ken Ham sounds like a dude that knows how to talk about gun policy. So, Ken, what's your take on all of this? Why are we having these mass shootings? And then the other thing is, he's the same president that came out and tells us that, you know, teachers own the children, basically, Mm -hmm. and the state owns the children, and they should be in the public schools, where they teach them evolution is fact, and that they're just animals. And then the, you wonder why, why does he get upset that someone goes and acts like an animal? I think so we're getting close to an answer, folks. I, I appreciate the fact that you have your Sherlock hat on, which I think most Sherlock hats can be worn frontwards or backwards. Not exactly sure, but my beloved little sl- snarky sleuths here So we have two options. Maybe it was demons. Maybe it's just because we're teaching evolution in schools. I don't know. I think we have some other options. I think we have a lot of other options. They're not good options, but they're options. Let's take, for instance, here, GOP candidate for Senate in Georgia, Herschel Walker. Now, I am a Georgia Bulldog. Herschel Walker is a Georgia Bulldog. And Herschel Walker is very good with words. It's just the sentences that give him the problem. Because you could put a whole bag of, you could get a bag and fill it full of words and shake it up. And that would be Herschel Walker's answer to what we need to do about gun violence. See, there is a person willing that weapon. You know, Cain, Kia, Abel. You know, and, uh, you know, and that's the problem that we have. And I said, what we need to do is look into how we can stop those things. You know, he talked about doing a disinformation. What about getting a department that can look at young men that's looking at uh, women that's looking at uh, just social media? What about doing that, looking into things like that? And we can stop that that way. But yet they want to just continue to talk about taking away your constitutional rights. And, and I, I think there's more things we need to look into. This has been happening for years. And the way we stop it, by putting money into the mental health field, by putting money into uh, other departments rather than departments that want to take away your rights. I mean, Herschel actually does 
Herschel actually has a slight point here. And actually, after listening to Herschel, it makes you really see his point even more that we do have a mental health crisis here in America. I mean, Herschel is a great example of that. As you listen to him and his spaghetti brain that probably has too much CTE from playing football, which again, it happens. Nothing wrong. Just does not mean that we need to have you as a senator in the great state of Georgia. Sorry, buddy. And speaking of spaghetti brains, no one gets closer to that actual definition of being a living human vegetable that somehow is sentient and does say words. Because we've got, we've got Congresswoman Lauren Boebert telling us about, you know, that Jesus guy. He would have solved a whole hell of a lot of problems if he only had a gun. <laughs> Jesus, you're so dumb. Seriously, all this talk of love, compassion, self-sacrifice. Nah, you would have changed your tune if you had a gun. On Twitter, a lot of the, the little Twitter trolls, they like to say, Oh, Jesus didn't need an AR-15. How, how many AR-15s do you think Jesus would have had? Well, he didn't have enough to keep his government from killing him. So... <laughs> She's so funny, but she does have a point. I mean, Jesus with guns that I'm not talking about his beautiful, beautiful first century Jewish biceps. No, no. Think about this, people. If Jesus had guns. How much more successful would Jesus have been? <laughs> and remember, again, you're listening to a show called Snarky Faith. So if you have a hard time reading sarcasm and snark, this may not be a safe zone for you, my friend. It may not. Because, also, it's only going to get worse from here. What did you expect? It to get better? <laughs> no. That's not the time we live in. And lastly, before we actually get to something that's slightly substantial on this conversation, let me just finish out our parade of pinheads, prats, putzes, and pricks with Louis Gomer. Louis Gomer, everyone remembers the congressman that's tooth falls out from time to time. That Louis Gomer. Louie's going to tell us the missing ingredient of really why this is happening. I mean, there's a lot of things that we like to blame things on, but this is, hmm, kind of a central thing. So go ahead, Louie, give us some of that Southern gumption charge. Uh, in debate last week and even today, to be told that we have no courage, that uh, Democrats, we were told in debate last week, don't want to hear any more about social media, violent video games, Hollywood, mental illness, and they sure don't want to hear any more about prayers. They're disgusted hearing about prayers. Don't want to hear any more about fatherlessness, drug use. Look, maybe if we heard more prayers from leaders of this country instead of taking God's name in vain, uh, we wouldn't have the mass killings like we didn't have before prayer was eliminated from school. I mean, yes. I mean, there's a lot of other excuses, but 
Numero uno is the fact that thoughts and prayers are no longer allowed inside schools. I mean, if God is the God of the universe, it's amazing that when somebody passes a legislation saying there's no prayer in schools, that somehow supernaturally that happens, right? Right? Somehow God is cosmically cock-blocked for being in the schools because we can't pray in them schools. Because that's what Louis says. That's, that's the problem. That is the silver bullet that is affecting America. We have mass shootings because we've removed prayer in schools. And because we removed prayer in schools now, you know, it'd be better if our elected officials weren't taking the Lord's name in vain every time. Because that leads to gun violence. Yeah, that is totally idiotic, stupid, asinine, because I can say something like, God damn it! Oh, crap. Maybe Gomer was right. Maybe, maybe we should go back to being suspicious tribal people that pray over our crops and worship the sky gods. Yes, 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 because... Why should we pray for change if we're unwilling to change anything? Thoughts and prayers are what keep us here. This is absolute madness. And it doesn't have to continue, but the way that we do things in America says, yeah, it's going to continue. First article I want to bounce onto this topic with is from the AP, and it's called Shootings Exposed Divisions on Gun Issues in Faith Communities by Deepa. Barrath, and Holly Meyer. And they comment here in the article, according to the 2017 Pew Research Center data analyzed for Christianity Today, 41% of evangelicals own a gun compared to 30% of Americans overall. The highest share of any religious group. The survey also shows 74% of all gun owners in the U.S. agree that their right to gun ownership is essential to their sense of freedom. Most states allow firearms in places of worship. This is insane. This is madness. This is sad. And, and, and how small are humans? Like, like, what kind of a small person are you? If the only way for you to feel a sense of freedom is to have a gun. Now, I'm not talking about, and, and there, I know there's been situations where, where people have been abused or, or raped and harassed, but I'm, I'm talking about <coughs> just, just normal evangelicals that are supposed to be trusting in God, trusting in Jesus. But a lot of them only feel more comfortable with a gun. Faith, gun, faith, gu gun, gun for sure, gun for sure, yes. And this had also come out from the New York Times uh, by historian Peter Mansell. And he notes here that Christian firearms are hardly a contradiction. He says this, in Florida, Spike Tactical, this is a gun company, Spike Tactical, quote, the finest ARs on the planet, makes a line of crusader weapons adorned, adorned with a quote from the Psalms. Missouri-based CMMG, 
quote, the leading manufacturer of AR-15s, components, and small parts, advertises its employees, quote, commitment to meet each and every morning to pray for God's wisdom in managing the enormous responsibility that comes with this business. Heartwarming. Continuing on. And in Colorado, Cornerstone Arms explains that it is so named because, quote, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our business, our family, and our lives. And the Second Amendment to our Constitution is the cornerstone of freedom we enjoy as American citizens. As the article puts it, for many American Christians, Jesus, guns, and the Constitution are, stick, are stitched together as durable as a Kevlar vest. And this, this should make us outraged. This should make us mourn. Because none of this, I know I say this all the time on the show, none of this has to do anything with the ways and teachings of Jesus. Now, I know a lot of these evangelicals feel safer if they've got their guns. But we have to be reminded that guns do more than kill, which is the name of an article over on Vox by Karen Landman. And in the article, Karen lays out some of the harm that reciprocates from around gun violence. Putting it like this, most of the research on grief responses following violent deaths, not exclusively limited to gun violence, suggests losing a loved one to violence makes bereavement especially intrusive and difficult. Gun violence seems to have a uniquely detrimental effect on the mental health of young people. In one survey, children in urban and rural areas were at a higher risk for post-traumatic symptoms if they saw or heard gun violence. Not necessarily in a school setting, even if they were exposed to other types of harm like physical abuse, bullying, or being a witness to family violence. The cost of gun violence goes well beyond deaths. And it's not just witnesses and children who bear the costs. Shootings have a ripple effect far beyond the person who is actually shot within the community, says Megan Rainey, an emergency physician and researcher at Brown University's medical and public schools who has studied firearm violence excessively. Deaths from gun violence maybe what shock us the most, and they should. But as the health consequences of gun injuries go, deaths are only a tip of the iceberg. And, and I continue to just have a really difficult time wrapping my head around people that would profess the name of Jesus. And assumably, by professing the name of Jesus, you're assumably walking out the ways of Jesus, the, the nonviolent ways of Christ. And what? We're walking out the ways of loving our neighbors, but just in case we need to shoot them, we need to be prepared. Amen. No, no. This just shows how far off the mark American Christianity has become, how far from the source they are. When we begin to see stats like this, when we begin to see violence perpetuated again and again and again in our communities, and we get this myriad of dumbass responses, most of those being from the gun lovers that are evangelical or conservative, 
we get all of these other things to blame the single source that they put more of their faith in than God. Their Second Amendment rights to their guns. And that is their faith. That is the way that they view the world around them. Because if you feel like you need to have a gun when you go out into the world to protect yourself, you're going to look at every situation differently. Instead of encountering your neighbor, you're going to have this lens of, of looking at situations from a tactical nature. Where's my risk? Where do I need to take out? Just in case. Where are my exits? What do I do? Right? Because when you begin to do that, when you begin to walk that way out into the world, there is no way that you can embrace the ways of Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there's no other way around it. Peaceful, loving, compassionate ways of Christ that teaches us to be self-sacrificial and to embrace others. Or, I like to go to church and sing about Jesus and feel good, but I also like to spend the rest of my week with a gun just in case my neighbor happens to be a person of color or one that I don't like. I don't know. I don't know. But I digress on that. I digress on that. It, it's just a sad state that we have that type of connective tissue that links the church together. And as I, as I kind of round out this bit of a new segment that we've been going through here, I am going to reference this. This is come from Salon.com by Nathaniel Manderson, who wrote the commentary. So who are evangelicals and how did they become such massive hypocrites? Yeah, you can kind of figure out where this is going already. Nathan says this, and I think this is, this is a good way for us to summarize this up. How are the evangelicals, as a believer in the invisible man in the sky, who's keeping score, I must admit that the church doesn't tend to draw people who like to question things. As a result, when thousands of evangelical preachers push forward a message that has no basis in the fundamental elements of the Christian faith, the sheep sometimes just say, bah! I believe that the most influential and most political pastors within the evangelical community, like Franklin Graham or Robert Jeffress, Deliberate pursue the misleading approach. They are enemies to the true message of Jesus and to America. Evangelical leaders are focused on making their followers feel righteous and good by pointing out others who they claim are visible and measurable enemies of God. And targeting abortion providers, the LGBTQ population, and the other acceptable, unacceptable, or radical forces, evangelical leaders have made billions of dollars acquired political power out of all proportion to their numbers and build massive churches with televised services and parking lots the size of football stadiums. None of these issues are actually based on the Christian faith or the Bible. Indeed, many are directly contrary to it. But who cares about a small detail like that? And all of this brings us finally to our main conversation piece that we're going to be going through here for the hour. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be having a bunch of different interviews from different authors and voices out there that I think you're going to find interesting and hopefully edifying here over the summer. But before we finally get to that, we need to finally round out our series that we've been going through. 
We've been going through the book Spiritual Theology by Diogenes Allen and Gifts of the Dark Wood by Eric Elms, where we've been unpacking over these past many, many weeks, really what does it look like? What is What, what does faith look like? What is the nitty-grittiness of faith? What is faith all about? What are the ways of Jesus all about in, in tangible ways? So we've been walking through different aspects of faith, different aspects of growth. And I feel, as, as we are descending into a conversation today, I'm going to be talking a lot about learning from experience. And as we begin to talk about how experience impacts us along the journey in life, how it impacts us as we grow, evolve uh, in our faith, I think this is a good reminder of a place for us to begin our conversation with Let's begin with the ending. And in Spiritual Theology by Diogenes Allen, uh, Allen puts it like this, the goal of the Christian life, both in this world and the world to come, is union with God. But this union should not be identified with ecstatic states, even though such states occur. More fundamental to union with God is our sense of God's continual presence an inner stillness that is available to all. And as we, as, as we kind of finalize out all of this that we've been talking about, telling stories and looking through the history of, of Christ and his teachings, one of the things that I think that oftentimes does not always get preached very often because oftentimes preachers can be very bibliocentric sticking to the Bible and Scripture. But I believe one of the greatest things that aids us in growing and progressing is experience, is learning from our mistakes. It's learning to not make the same mistakes over and over again. It's us beginning to see that in a certain sense, well, I'll, I'll unpack it like this. One thing that always bothered me since, since I was a kid, and I've been raised around... Baptist, conservative culture my whole life, but I always had questions. And, and one of the things that always bothered me, that always bothered me in regards to how we held the Bible, was the fact that we acted as if God quit speaking 2,000 years ago. Right? So that we have the inerrant word of God. It's, it's all we need to live, right? The Bible. And then after that, God was like, peace out. I'm done talking in King James English for several millennia. No, but what, what I began to see was that in a certain sense, I remember like listening to the life of Christ, watching the disciples, and then seeing what happens in Acts where Jesus effectively hands things over and says, now you go and do. You go and do in the ways that I have taught you to do. And in, and in many ways, we are all kind of extending those chapters as we walk out. Now, we don't have Bibles to somehow continue to tell the story in that manner. But our experiences, what we learn from as we go, as we grow, are the things that help us be able to identify where is God moving, where is God not moving. Is this a situation where I am potentially being manipulated or gaslit? 
Or am I moving towards freedom and more acceptance of myself and, and learning how to love others with a greater compassion? Because in my life, the greatest lessons I have learned have been the ones through difficult times and experiences. I can think of so many times <laughs> working in church ministry that was, that was quite painful. And being raised in, in such a religious tradition, we were always fed these, these lines. And in many cases, we were fed these lies. That God is always working something through this situation, right? So if God called you to be here in this church, you need to just be here. I don't care what kind of spiritual abuse or bad stuff's going on here. You just have to see what the Lord is doing. You know, as the old saying goes, abuse me once, shame on me. Abuse me twice, sounds like Christianity. That's not how it goes. But seriously, yes, yes, we have learned from pain. I've, I'm a person, and I, I'm assuming that you have grown up with various degrees of trauma. And those trauma, that trauma informs us things about the world around us. Sometimes those things are, are incorrect that keep us in situations where that trauma perpetuates itself. But other times, other times we have moments of great clarity that I really feel like God is very much in the thick of. Where God tells us, yeah, you've been there. You've seen that. And what happened last time? Yeah, move on. Go with your gut. Learn to live well. Learn to survive. But remember, survival is only for a season. And too often do we get caught in these seasons where we are just survival after survival after survival. At some point, at some point, we look towards being able to move from surviving to learning to live to learning to thrive. And that is a huge part of what it means to follow after the ways of Jesus. It's about us going through our own experiences, cleaning out our own trauma and junk so that we can be better for those around us, so that we can be more loving and graceful to those that we encounter. And I remember, I was pondering the, this over the weekend, and it, ma it made me think of the times when I was younger, and even into like my 20s, where I, I would go into church services or worship services, and I would be so keen to feel quote-unquote, feel whatever God's presence was. Now, at the time, I didn't realize that a lot of that is manipulation and the way that the, the emotional way that worship services are conducted. And then I reflected on, on the, the kind of the exact opposite of that to where over the past few years, I've pretty much tried not to go inside of churches, but the, one of the past few times I was there during a service, I remember feeling nothing. But at the same time, I still knew God was there with me. And I think some of that learning from experiences and like a small way like that used to, I needed to feel this presence of God, which really wasn't God in itself. It was me wanting, me wanting to whip myself up and feel something because it made me feel like I was closer to God. But now I find God in the small spaces, in the quiet places. I find God in odd questions and books, and tweets, <laughs> and music, I've learned to find God in the places that we don't always expect. 
Because when we continue to dip from that same well of going to those places that we expect things to be a certain way, we've already conditioned ourselves that we're done growing. Because another element, another element of learning from our experiences always has to be growth. And as I've talked before throughout this entire series, there may be times where you need to leave a place. Maybe it's a church. But for whatever reason it is, you, your growth, your spiritual growth, is being caged where you're at. And you have the inkling that I need to go find God elsewhere because it doesn't feel like God's here anymore. But the spiritual path is never about destinations and constantly about growth and constantly about moving us towards states of peace and shalom. That should be what we're chasing after. We're chasing after the ways, the wild ways of Jesus, the unconventional ways of Jesus, and leaning into life in a new and different way. We're seeking to experience people without prejudice, without judgment. We're seeking to see them the same way that God looks at us through eyes of love. And one thing that I've actually learned from experience along the way is this. I used to get hung up on certain, on certain scriptures where like Jesus tells us that we need to be able to love our neighbor. And it used to make me feel like I need to love like this whole group of people over here. Now I know this can probably be a little bit dicey depending upon <laughs> how I fully unpack what I'm saying here. But I feel like when Christ calls us to love our neighbor, he's talking about individuals. He's not talking about mobs. He's not talking about groups or tribes or huge things. I'm not saying that we are called to love or hate or any of those, but when we begin to see people as a group and not as an individual, it feels like things are already lost. Because part of walking in faith is about learning not to care about the outcome. It's learning to get rid of that. And I know for so many of us that have worked in churches or, or just been in churches our whole life, the outcome always matters. But we have to learn to not care about the outcome. And we need to concern ourselves with doing what's right always. And in that same vein, it's also us not getting caught up in what we've done in the past, whether it be our legacy or our screw-ups. The most important thing and, and, and the biggest currency that we have if we really, truly say that we follow after the ways of Jesus, the only currency that we have is now, is the decision that we have right now, like in this moment, now. Not tomorrow, not down the line, not yesterday, because we can't control that. The, the things that we can't control, we can't control. What defines you moving forward is going to be who you are in the moment and how you decide to treat others. So as we reflect on all of this, I want to give you a piece 
from a person that I consider a modern-day prophet. Or, I guess, a modern-day saint in many ways. He's still not with, he's not with us anymore. But that prophet would be the comedian George Carlin. And George Carlin did this interview. Trigger warning, it's with Charlie Rose. Me too, creeper Charlie Rose. Yeah. He's the interviewer. But ignore his voice and the side of it and really listen to what Carlin is talking about. Now, he is digesting and, and pulling apart comedy. But in so many ways, I hear the words of Jesus. So many ways, I hear a different way calling to us in this. Carlin calls us to speak truth regardless of consequence, to be able to do what we are called to do in the moment. He also talks about how to speak with people and bring them with you, even if you're pushing them closer and closer to a line that they're not sure about. The line that Carlin's talking about is not necessarily the line that I've been talking about today. And that line that I'm talking about today is the line that keeps us where we're at, that keeps us from changing and growing. Because in the Christian walk, it is, it is from my utmost experiences to, to quote, <laughs> and to quote from Shawshank Redemption, it's either get busy living or get busy dying. Growth happens when we step over that line into the wilderness and follow after a wild God, seeing where God takes us. So here is, here is St. Carlin. In the last seven to eight years, I began to develop a different comic voice and a, and a different perspective. Um, you know, comedy, stand-up comedy is a low art. It's, it's a vulgar art. It's an art of the people. It's not But it's fine. an art. But it is an art. It's, it, it has to do with interpreting the world as you see it and then writing something and then delivering it verbally. Uh, and I found a very liberating position for myself as an artist. And that was I sort of gave up on the human race and gave up on the American dream and culture and nation yeah. and decided that I didn't care about the outcome. And that gave me a lot of freedom from a kind of distant platform to be sort of uh, amused, uh, a, a kind of, uh, to watch the whole thing with a combination of wonder and pity but, and try to put that into yeah. words. Not caring about the outcome. What right. do you mean by that? Not having an emotional stake in whether this experiment with human beings works. I really don't care. Uh, I love people as I meet them one by one. People are, the, are just wonderful as individuals. You see the whole universe in their eyes if you look carefully. But as soon as they begin to group, as soon as they begin to clot, when there are five of them or ten, or even groups as small as two, they begin to change. They sacrifice the beauty of the individual for the sake of the group. I decided it was all under the control of groups now, whether it's business, religion, political people or what, and I would distance myself from wishing for a good outcome. Let it do what it's going to do, yeah. and I'll enjoy it as an entertainment. And I'll reflect on what it is on its own. And I'll enjoy it for the entertainment. There's a little bit of a sick part in this, too. Yeah. I root for the big comet. I root for the big asteroid to come and make things right. That's yeah, the way right. I put it. Stir but, things up. Yes, to get us back where we were before the yeah. first one came and knocked out these dinosaurs and yeah. let the ferrets we're grow We're talking up. about comets on this show tonight. I know. Uh, and I'm, I'm rooting for that big one to come right through that hole in the ozone layer because I want to see it on CNN. See, I'm here for the entertainment, Charlie. I am. <laughs> People, these philosophers say, why are we here? I know I am here. For the entertainment. The show. Bring it on. I want to see the circus. Yeah. But so, how does this affect your performance and what you bring to stand-up? Well, well, I've seen a lot of 
comedians, we've all seen a lot of comedians who seem to have a political bent in their work. And always implicit in the work is, is some positive outcome, that this is all going to work. If only we do this, if only we pass that yeah. bill, if only we elect him, if only we do that. It's not true. It's, it's circling the drain time for, the, for humans. I believe this. I honestly believe this. Not just as a comedian, he thinks that. He likes yeah, to right, say that. Yeah. I believe it. And when you say to yourself, I don't care what happens, it just gives you a broader perspective for the art, for the words to, to emerge, to not care. That's what happened in that 92 show. That's why I could say the planet is fine, the people are... Because yeah. the planet will outlast us. It will be here and it will be fine. Has the subject matter changed? Well, I, I, you know, you're still stuck with what's going on. Yeah. But I, I don't like topical. I don't like political humor. I, I don't mention politicians. In fact, I defend them in this particular show. Uh, everyone is on their Everyone is always making things. Politicians I, are bad I, I defend them and blame it on the people. This is where it belongs. Yes. You and get fact, what you deserve. Yes, you get what you deserve, and you deserve what you get. <laughs> and I have a slogan, the public sucks. And yeah. it works nicely, and people accept it. Not, not, not very enthusiastically, yeah. but they understand that it says we the people in that preamble. Yeah. It doesn't say them the thises and those the thats. It, it says, hey. We got on this boat. And people who hate government are involved in a, in a form of suicide because government is self-government. And if you hate the government, you, you hate, hate yourself. yourself. Yeah. It's the same with the war against nature that, that mankind goes through. So I just said to myself, it's not going to get better. Not in my lifetime. Let me enjoy this and get a little perverse about my, my commentary on it. I, I, I open what does perverse mean, though? Well, to, to look for where the people think the line is. The people have values, that these, things, these, these amorphous things they call values yeah. that they bring to, to, the, to the seat in the theater when they sit down. Yeah. And I like to find out where their line may be and deliberately cross it, disturb <laughs> them a little, make them uncomfortable, yeah. and, then make them, and then bring them with me across the line and make yeah. them glad they came. That's what I do. I'm an entertainer. I'm not a doomsayer. I'm not here to preach. I don't do political tracts. But I do entertain. I do a lot of jokes. But I want you to feel a little in danger along the way. Part of us experiencing Christ and following after his teachings mean that we are going to have that sense of danger. We're stepping outside of our defense mechanisms. We're stepping outside of our comfort zones. We don't want to go there. But if we want to grow... And if we want to experience God, God is moving out there in the world. If you want to experience God, you're going to have to step over that line and continue what you need to do to grow into the fullness of the person who you already are. Have courage and step into that. So in moving to an end of this conversation today, what I wanted to do is I wanted to leave you with something that I thought was, was beautiful and very evocative of what we've been talking about today and actually through this whole series that we're finally finishing up now. And it comes from the book Beauty and the Wreckage by Brandon Andrus. And I am just going to offer this up to you on a silver platter because I think it is a beautiful end cap to what we've been talking about. And Brandon says this, As Shalom goes forth, we will begin to live in deeply rooted, nurturing relationships with our brothers and sisters of every gender, race, culture, religion, ethnicity, sexual preference, disability, and socioeconomic level. For the tradition we seek in this world does not begin on high in governments with rulers or leaders or politicians, 
It does not begin in the upper echelons of corporations or businesses with corporate executives. And it does not begin with charismatic preachers or with ordained ministers or at the highest levels of religious or denominational organization. Rather, this transformation starts at the bottom with me and you as an organic grassroots movement of shalom. And what begins as the smallest seeds of shalom planted in the fertile soil out of our lives quickly transforms into this deeply rooted, intimately interconnected system that begins to move throughout every part of our communities in the world. And this movement is never rooted in anger, violence, hatred, animosity, or vitriol, but in a peace and love that only comes from the nourishing shalom of God. For what we seek is not an angry mob rule, but a shalom-filled community of transformation. And when we join together in this shalom, the shalom begins to expose the darkness as it stands in stark and beautiful contrast to the power structures and systems of injustice, oppression, and violence. Even as I write these words, there's a movement of those who follow Jesus coming together from across the nation in peace and love, extending shalom through word and action to press into the rising tide of Christian nationalism, hostilities against illegal immigrants, and the breakup of their families, misogyny and gender injustice, racial inequality, and injustice and poverty. Even as I write these words, there is a movement of those who follow Jesus rising up as peacemakers, not just stand in solidarity with the victims and families of students killed in more school shootings, but as an extending shalom through their peaceful call for legislative reform, through their peaceful activism of turning guns into gardening tools, and through offering creative prophetic visions of our country to reject the violence and rediscover the peaceable non-violence of Jesus. Even, even as I write these words, there is a movement of those who follow Jesus that are actively being compassionate, hands and feet of Christ, extending shalom by standing besides the LGBTQ community and pushing back against the hatred, antagonism, and name-calling and offering them a seat at the table as brothers and sisters as they are continually pushed to the margins and ostracized by many Christians. Even as I write these words, there is a movement of those who follow Jesus that are not just helping those who are enslaved and chained to substance abuse and other addictions by meeting with them regularly, but also surrounding them with an honest, real, and vulnerable community that is deeply rooted and becoming more of a family that loves each other than a group that, is, that just gets together for meetings. And this movement of shalom is moving and growing and expanding. The shalom of God is here and is breaking into the present mightily. Shalom is not passive, isolated state of being in oneself. It is an active, transformational, communal movement that is changing the world. It is only peace that can stop the cycle of verbal and physical aggression. It is only forgiveness that can stop the cycle of resentment and retaliation. And it is only in reconciliation 
that can stop the cycle of fracturing and dividing. It is only in grace that can stop the cycle of judgment and condemnation. It is only mercy that can stop the cycle of punishment and retribution. It is only love that can stop the cycle of hatred and cover a multitude of offenses. And it is only the shalom of God that will save us from ourselves. But this does not guarantee that shalom will be met with open arms. Far from it. The ways of shalom may very well face the full frontal assault of evil and hatred, for the darkness despises the light. But it is this self-sacrificing, other-centered, friend and enemy-loving shalom that is the embodiment of Christ in the world that will win in the end. So we fearlessly, courageously, and hopefully carry this light of shalom into the darkness presently for the world to see. There is a different way to live this life, and it is here, and it is going forth. For faith is not about doing something in the future while ignoring the present as inconsequential. This present matter, this present life matters now, and extending the ever-present shalom of God in our lives, our families, our relationships, and our communities, and in the world is what is worth dying for. Because that is where perfect freedom and perfect love is embodied. It is where our deepest longings and our deepest desires are realized. It is where the union and communion with the divine extends outwardly through our lives, and it is where we discover the wholeness, completeness, and harmony of all things, and where we learn to see beauty. We learn to be beauty in the middle of this wreckage of this life. Well, that's all I've got this week. I just wanted us to be able to have these, these words to work on and to work through us as we move out into this world. And as I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we are going to be having a bunch of different interviews with authors and interesting people kind of rounding out what we're doing here on the show this summer. And we'll get back into doing more series and all that kind of jazz once the summertime wanes. But listen, all of this, all of this that we're talking about, all of this that matters is in your hands. It's in my hands. It's in our hands. It's in how we choose to walk things out every day. And even though <laughs> in so many ways uh, I would describe myself as a cynical optimist, I do have to continue to take those risks of faith and lean into hope and to the fact that we have to hope that doing the work of shalom, doing this work of sacrificial love will matter because that's all that matters. And that's all I've got this week for you guys. Just a reminder as we end this broadcast that you can catch our show on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. 
And I leave you this week, as I do every week, with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. Go out into this world and make a difference. No matter how big, no matter how small. You just need to show up and be the amazing you that that you already are. (laughs) All right, I'll catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Peace be with you. Well, if you're still here, I know why you're hanging around. You're wanting some extra Christian crazy of the week. Well, guess what? I've got some. I've got, not some, I've got one. I have one of the most cringiest things you're ever going to hear. This comes from Apostle Rayleigh. Answering a question that we know nobody in their right mind ever asked. But he's going to tell you anyways. Here's your Christian Cringe of the Week. Christian Cringe. No, God, please, no, no. It's hard to watch porn after you've been praying in the Holy Ghost for 20 minutes. Preach, Pastor. If we could learn to pray in the Holy Spirit before temptation arises. Some of y'all been trading a holy call for a booty call. Can I get a witness in this house? Where, where is the church that will pray in the spirit? That means when that, when that, when that guy calls you and says, yo, baby, what's up? You need to answer the phone and say, bye-bye. Y'all, I'm going to say it again. Come on. See, hey, hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man.